The Athletic. Hello, my name's Jack Pitbrook, and this is The View from the Lane, the Athletics Tottenham Hotspur podcast. Our normal host, Danny Kelly, is away today, recuperating from a medical procedure at home in Ireland. We obviously wish him all the best. So I'm back in the chair, and I'm joined today by my athletic colleagues, Charlie Appleshare and James Moore. I think we're all very pleased to say that with the second of the autumn's three international breaks now almost out of the way, we are thrillingly near to the return of Premier League football and Tottenham Hotspur. The break, Charlie, isn't quite over yet because Giovanni Vasselso and Christian Romero are playing late tonight, half past midnight UK time, when Argentina hosts Peru. Charlie, are you going to stay up and watch it? <laughs> I think I'll give this one a miss, as tempting as it is. With a, with a young child, sleep is precious. And as much as I want to see Lo Celso and Romero get on, I'm confident that someone will package everything good Lo Celso does into a handy two-minute uh, clip on Twitter which will make us all think he's amazing so that that's fine by me I should say as well on this this I was saying this to James yesterday have a bit of a bugbear with there's been so much back and forth about quarantining and um, red zones and all of this about the Celso and Romero the main thing is they're playing at on Friday morning UK time so that's the main issue with them playing on Sunday they've always been okay to play that game or they have been you know since a few weeks ago you know whether they had to quarantine or not the rules were such that they could play it's just that they're going to be knackered they're playing you know that generally we accept don't we that Thursday to Sunday is the that's kind of the tightest turnaround you can have so I just I think Friday morning to Sunday would be a, a huge gamble on their fitness from Nuno it's mad that they play but about hello everyone it's mad that they play a game on like a Thursday night their time isn't it ahead of like mm-hmm. matches at the weekend I mean you would have thought like uh, they would have wanted to keep their players in the Europe suite. And I know, you know, we talked about this at the last international break, that these players are obviously absolutely desperate to play for their national team, which is great. But it does seem crazy that I think I think the first game they all played was on the, the, the first Thursday of the break. Then they played over the weekend and then they're playing again tonight. It just seems like, move the whole thing forward one day and mm. it'll, it'll be fine and you'll give these players the opportunity to play for their for their club teams. It just seems slightly unusual. I, don't, I mean, is it, are they trying to make some kind of point? Who is it? Is it Conk? Is it Conk? It's not Conkcap, is it? Who is Comnibol. it? Comnibol. Comnibol. Yeah, the scheduling is shambolic. Comnibolics, mate. One of the one of the one of the annoying things about there's the title of the episode. <laughs> one of the weird things about this situation is that obviously UK government has now relaxed the rules, which means that they won't have to do a hotel quarantine. They can just do a kind of bubble within. Uh, within their Premier League clubs when they return for ten days, but they can still play and train. But the problem is that because of that relaxation it's now impossible for the clubs to say only play two games and then come back, which is what eventually happened in the last break. Uh, so obviously last time, Lo Celso and Mero Sanchez played two games, then came back, obviously via Croatia. Whereas this time, they're playing all three games, and that, that doesn't really work for Tottenham either, because even you know, best-case scenario, if they get on a flight, what, f- overnight Friday their time, so Friday lunchtime, UK time, and they get back to the UK Saturday, they won't have trained. And the idea of them kind of going up to St James's Park and play. I mean, even if they can, they could probably get them out on the field if they really wanted to, but I don't imagine they'll be in any any fit state to play, unfortunately. And, and there's Royale and Sanchez, who they're playing, what, Thursday night UK time? Yeah, so Sanchez plays... So Colombia host Ecuador tonight, so that's 10pm UK time Thursday night, and Emerson Royale's Brazil host Uruguay. I think that's kind of one thirty a.m. Friday. Yeah, you, call, you call them Emerson Royale's Brazil, but I haven't looked. <laughs> I think in the first two games he played eleven minutes, and Sanchez, by the way, in the first two games he don't think played at all. So those two have schlepped all yeah. the way over to South Americans to not even kick a ball. But and again, this isn't like to like to do down like South American football. Absolutely not. And obviously, the World Cup qualifiers are massive matches, and you know it's a very competitive group. But it, it just seems mad that it, it, they've chewed on them in like this. You know, they played this Copa America over the summer that it, I think most people are in agreement it was a stupid idea, playing the whole thing behind closed doors. Um, and now they're cramming in free qualifiers a month every month through the whole season. It, it just seems absolutely insane. And, and the annoying thing is also that because of the way that Cotton Bowl qualifying works, the, the tension goes out of it for the best teams quite quickly. And Argentina are doing pretty well now. And I imagine they'll get the three points allocated from that game that got called off in Brazil. 
at which point it's become it's going to become kind of increasingly pointless for them to keep going back for another three games in November. This made up international break in January, February, which isn't even a, a recognised break. <laughs> a recognised like a recognised centre forward, like that, like that non-canon Bond film. <laughs> yes, never say never again. Yeah, it's a non it's a non canonical international break, and so I'm afraid this story is going to run and run and run through this season, even though it is actually getting quite. Mm. <laughs> Another story that's running and running and running is questions about Harry Kane's form. Uh, I was at the England game on uh, Tuesday night against Hungary, and I thought he was pretty poor, to be honest, Kane. It was kind of the performance we've seen quite a bit of from Kane this year, like not really physically involved in the game, not really able to exert much pressure on the opposition or win the ball. And when he did get it, I think it kind of it would get tangled up under his feet a few times and he gave away possession. And given the way that England played with these two kind of creative number eights in Mount and Foden, it just seems to kind of clog up the whole system. You know, if you're going to play two, two eights like that, you don't want a centre forward who's coming back slowly towards them. You want someone like a kind of Rashford or Greenwood going in behind. Um, James, did you watch it? And did you you get a sense that this is kind of the cane that we've seen a bit too much of recently? I mean, yes and no. I thought, I mean, in the last game we played for Tottenham against Aston Miller, I thought he played pretty well, actually. I think we talked about it at the time. He didn't have loads of chances and he snatched at a couple he, he did get. And it probably felt like quite a rare thing for him. There being a sense that he was actually kind of conscious of the fact that he hadn't scored a goal this season, which I, I really don't like... I think the thing I've said before, he's kind of he seems to be impervious to the sort of game state in the occasion and whatever else, and he would genuinely always play the same way. And I think actually this season it has felt slightly different. But I actually think the big thing for England, and you talked about the, you mentioned this on the piece that you wrote off the back of the game, was because he and Sterling are both off form. Sterling is the only player in that team who would run beyond Kane if he drops off, and for whatever reason that wasn't quite happening in that game. It's because Sterling was pushed down to the right. So Sterling, it's much easier for Sterling to make those runs when he starts on the left, but he's been shifted out to the right to accommodate Grealish. Now he hasn't got that same angle. So there you go. And it just, you know, there's no one running beyond Kane. So when he did drop off and occasionally get the ball, which actually didn't happen that often, that there's no one running beyond him to play in. So he was kind of dropping off and getting in the way of Foden and Mount because obviously they're brilliant technical players who play in those kind of areas as well. And then there was no one really playing the kind of balls that he likes in like the final third. So he wasn't really getting the ball. And this isn't me saying it wasn't his fault and he wasn't bad because he definitely was. But I do think there's kind of some mitigation in the way that, that system didn't quite work for whatever reason. Do you think like, because I, I did a piece during the Euros when obviously he did, Kane didn't score in the groups and then he did score against Germany and I did a piece looking at previous droughts and in inverted commas he's had and the fact that he then often goes on a scoring tear and obviously he did that at the Euros. And it was quite interesting reading the quotes at the time from all of those droughts, which he has, you know, let's say once a year or something. And it, and it is like eerily similar, the pattern that, you know, he'll... He doesn't look fit. Um, you know, he's he's not even getting the chances. He's dropping too deep. Is this the end for Kane? And, and honestly, we've seen that. We've had on this year conversation on, on this podcast. I reckon. Yeah. When would it have been after the restart in 2020? I reckon we were having. And it, when he looked, he looked, he looked finished. Then he looked cooked. Then completely done. And then you come back to, next, to the following season, last season now, and he's a top scorer in the Premier League and a top assist provider as well. And completely. I know you can argue that he had a good season last season, but, even but, if Spurs uh, didn't. Ditto when he started slowly in kind of the summer of 2015 in that 15-16 season and it was all second season syndrome as he even found out. I mean, it's happened again and again and again. Obviously, the fear of Tottenham fans is that, and England fans is that eventually it will bleed into something longer, but all evidence so far suggests it won't and that he'll score again, go on a great run and everyone's, and, and, and this is forgotten. One thing I wanted to ask though is, do, do you think... Does Kane get more? I've always felt with Kane, there's a bit of like suspicion around him because he did. He was a late developer. You know, he wasn't hyped up. There's always been this slight feeling like, oh, maybe he is going to get found out. And you know, does he get more of that, or do you think that's just inevitable because he's an elite level centre forward and that happens to to any striker who's that good who doesn't score? I don't. I mean, maybe Alan Shearer didn't really ever have those runs without a goal, I guess. But I don't remember or like Aguero or Henri or anyone. I mean, I guess mm. Henri. As a sort of prolific goal scorer, maybe that did come a bit later for him as well. Not, you know, late in his career, but it wasn't from the age of 18, was it? Yeah. It was like sort of second, third season at Arsenal. So no, you don't really hear that. I don't remember hearing that about other players. I mean, even someone like Rooney, who like obviously wasn't as prolific, but kind of had a similar sort of profile as like a key England player. 
I, and he obviously had quite a steep decline in the last few years of his mm. career. But even then, I don't really remember there being like the questions asked about whether he was finished when perhaps in retrospect he actually was. Rooney got probably quite generous coverage, I think, in the sort of back end of his career. You know, people would kind of talk themselves into saying he was better than he was. You know, he's got to go to Euro 2016. Play like In hindsight, that, that was a bad decision from Hodgson. Given a free and, yeah, role under Allardyce. Rooney seemed, yeah, I think Rooney seemed to have a bit more credit in the bank than... Um, than Kane did for whatever reason. I guess the, the I see what Charlie means, but I guess Charlie like the worrying thing is, I mean, how long is a blip allowed to go on? Because it's now mid October. I know he missed the first week of preseason, but he started eleven games so far this season. He's not really looked right in any of them. And at what point? At what point do you say actually maybe something has changed fundamentally? And it's missing that bit of preseason, by the way, that isn't just a caveat. That is like a big part of why this has happened, isn't it? Surely. Well, yeah, to, up to a point, but that was two months ago. But we know that we know he's like a slow starter in the season. If you take out like actually having a preseason and playing friendly matches and being in proper training up, you know, yeah. more than uh, five days before the start of the season, I mean, surely that's going to have an impact. You would think so, especially given you know a really carefully managed preseason, etc. Would be all the more necessary after a crazily constricted season and then straight into a Euros in which his team reaches the final and off the back of project restart when he was coming back from a serious injury i mean all of those things really would need uh very precise and and look we know that kane is so motivated and dedicated that he it's not like he was just chilling in disneyland not doing anything but that it, there is to the difference uh having a full and proper preseason. this isn't a criticism but are you, and you're right in what you say about him being like a highly motivated professional but i, I I have just a slight inkling sense that that motivation may, even if only temporarily, may have been sort of diminished slightly. Like what, now what we're is, in that August without period. Without wanting to sound like uh, uh, making him sound like a kind of thespian, like what what is his motivation now? Do you know what I mean? Like is he is he proving himself to get the move to Manchester City next year? Is he trying to break Jimmy Greaves' goalscoring record at Tottenham? I mean, what what is it that's you know? I, I just kind of sent. I just have a slight sense that he might be sort of a little bit. I'm not, and I'm not saying this would be permanent either, but I do wonder whether he's like that. That hunger that he had before may have slightly been dented by the fact he's basically a Tottenham team now going backwards. But I don't think he's. There. But I don't think he's someone who's needed that necessarily. Like he's the kind of guy to me who he's so single-minded that whatever I was saying this to Jack actually at the Chelsea game that even when it's like defending near post corners and you know a part of him might be thinking like fucking hell this is beneath me I'm an elite goal scorer playing for a, a team that's currently mid-table getting battered by Chelsea and I'm defending near post corners but he was doing it seemingly with relish because he's the kind of guy you give him a task go on go and win that header and he'll fucking go on and do it and I, and I kind of feel the same with goal scoring I don't think he necessarily needs Obviously, ideally, he would be in a team that are really pushing for titles and things. But like you saw when he came on, you know, against NS Mura, I don't think he's thinking, what am I doing? I'm spending my Thursday nights playing in this rubbish competition. He goes on and like an animal scores three times. By the way, I have, I have no doubts. Like he'll, he'll score 30 goals this season in all competitions between England and Spurs. Absolutely no question. And he'll get 18 Premier League goals, maybe, or whatever. I, I, I have no doubt about that. But I, I do... Yeah, I, I do wonder slightly whether he might just be in a bit of a funk still and that we're just waiting for something to kind of kickstart his season. And by the way, when that happens, I think Spurs will be laughing because I think actually you know, you'll know you see like a huge improvement in every other player in the team when that happens. Totally. I think the evidence of just what we see with our eyes probably suggests that James is right, I think. Like, I think he's he has looked a bit off it I mean he has just looked off it whether that's mental or physical I don't know or a combination of the two to me that's uh, I, I would imagine again I respect those who don't know but that to me would be more just a physical thing because I, I just never yeah, think he's he's anything other than just so desperate to score goals I, and I just think it's a bit of both I mean I, I just think you know, and it's sort of understandable to a, to a degree isn't it yeah I think it's, it is totally understandable it's been a pretty you know it's been a, he's had a we don't need to go into the reasons for it again, but he has had a pretty tough summer. But there is also, like, when you say, Jack, how long... I mean, I, I know you mean in the sense of, like, how long before we kind of make that judgment as to whether this is something to be worried about or not. But there is a fundamental difference with England and Spurs as well, because for England, there are actually legitimate options and alternatives, whereas that just doesn't really exist. It's, but I mean, what... what yeah, Spurs can't play Mason Yeah, exactly. Greenwood. What are they going to do if he goes... You know, it's not that they're going to be like, right, let's, let's drop Kane for, for the United game or something. Yeah, well, though I think James is, I think James, I think you're both right that 
if he starts score, you know, if he starts scoring, I think he will just keep scoring. That's you what know? history suggests that like he does tend to go on these yeah. streaks after. And it might well be that it's at St James's Park this Sunday where he does that. He came scored two goals in each of Spurs' last two games there. Uh, Spurs actually have a surprisingly good record at SJP ever since that really bad defeat on the SJP team, they won three. Yeah, I, why do you have to give initials uh, to stuff? That's they've won three because I've got initials as well, so I'm used to. So for me, everything is initializable. You know, I live in an initials world. Uh, but they've won three and drawn one of the last four league games. And even though you know, but no one would say that Spurs are playing well at the moment. Do you reckon they could they could get something this Sunday against Newcastle? Give, who are in this unique unique? They position? did play well against Villa, by the way. I thought I was in, like in really impressive how they played against Villa. Actually, uh, so, second yeah, half. So, yeah. I, like, I, I, I mean, maybe the international break was actually quite badly timed. Then, with that in mind, I don't know. It's an odd one because obviously it's going to be a quote unquote emotional day at St James's Park, SJP as you call it. But it does feel like one of those ones where, I, if well, firstly, I mean, obviously, by the time people listen to this, Steve Bruce may have been sacked, but. That dragging on for the whole week is really weird. I mean, whatever, whatever they do now is going to feel a bit odd. I mean, even if they end up with Graham Jones in charge for the game, you know, Steve Bruce having been there as manager all week in the build-up, that, I don't know, it's very strange. And ultimately, Newcastle do still have, a t- what are they, 18th, 17th in the league? Yeah, I mean, they haven't won a game. Like, yeah. as, as, much, as, much, as much as this is long-term, obviously going to be transformative, there's nothing really, you know. What is there a new ownership bounce? Is that have the numbers been run on that? You know, I've, it, could, it feels like it could go either way. That doesn't yeah, it? Like, totally. Like, you know, this, but these players all know that, uh, in all probability, you know, this football club might win trophies in the next few years. But more likely than not, these players are probably not going to be involved in that. I mean, maybe yeah. one or two. Maybe someone like you know, Callum Wilson can hang around or Debravka or whatever. I mean, maybe someone ends up being part of it. But I don't, I'm not necessarily convinced that. John Joe Shelby is going to be a Premier League winner, say. No, I mean, and, and, you know, often with these games, you know, it might be one where they're losing it to a sign to MBS of the scale of the task on his hands with these players. I mean, like, ultimately, they are, they're still not a very good team. They could, uh, you know, and, and if they do get beaten, it'll be like, oh, yeah, of course, well, d- despite everything that's happened, it's still the same players and the same manager. Or if it's not the same manager, it's, it's not exactly Antonio Conte coming in and firing this team up. Yeah, it's kind of no way to know really what the atmosphere will be like. I'm sure it'll be incredibly, I'm sure it'll be full and I'm sure it'll be very positive at the start. But equally, there's a lot of Newcastle fans who wanted Steve Bruce to get sacked this week. And so, you know, we're recording this on Thursday. That's the thing time. that could it's work not... in Spurs' favour, actually. If if he's yeah. in the dugout and Spurs start well, or if Spurs go in front, maybe, then that kind of tox- toxicity could kind of still kind of permeate a bit. And you do, yeah, you do wonder about that. I mean, obviously. Uh, the atmosphere is going to be far better than it would have been had Ashley still been at the club and you suspect that will probably have a bearing on the way Newcastle start the game I would imagine yeah but at the same time if Newcastle throw every, if, if like the crowd are really positive and they throw people forward yeah, and yeah, try, yeah, 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 yeah exactly then that's exactly what Spurs want them to do you know the one thing we know about the one thing we saw in the Aston Villa game Spurs are really good on the break because they got Son, who's yeah. the best counter attacker in the Premier League. So. By the way, the results Newcastle have got against Spurs have mostly been uh, mostly been down at uh, down at White Hart Lane, where they've like sat in and like goalkeepers have made loads of saves and whatever. Tim Krull, yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, maybe you're right actually, Jack. If uh, if Newcastle are encouraged to throw everything at Spurs, that might actually work in their favour. Can we talk about on the running order? It's there the um, the precedent for this, which is the first City game. Uh, under Abu Dhabi and the yeah the the three one defeat to Chelsea because that's so in the uh, sweet spot of, of of nostalgia. I mean, I remember yeah. that game really vividly. That it was a deflected free kick, deflected wasn't it? free kick, yeah. kind of clipped the wall. Then yeah. went in. everybody went absolutely crazy. And then it was like it was quite early on in Scolari's mm. tenure when they had Deco and Basinga was playing brilliantly at right back, and, and it looked like just... he was going to be really good for them, uh, Scolari. So they won like 4-0 in his first game. They just destroyed City in the second half because obviously it was a pretty, you know, it was only Mark Hughes's, I think, maybe fourth league game in charge. And they had a pretty like patched together team with a mix of kind of kids and people who'd arrived that summer. And There are some surprise names on that team sheet, just looking at it here. It's quite, that City team was quite good because because City had had that like year in between with Taxin where like they'd bought in Alano and Choluca and... You know, I mean, Chilli could have gone by then, I guess. But you know, they kind of had like a year in between. They're going from being like a sort of relegation scrappers to being quite a good team. 
So it wasn't like they kind of went like Newcastle are going to have to do going from being like one of the very worst teams in the league to suddenly having like Rubinho's and whoever else. Coutinho's, yeah. to be suspected. Mm-hmm. Newcastle don't have a kind of on the pitch figurehead like City had with Rubinho. Yes, uh, for the start true. of this, it's going to be two. The fact is, it's still going to be the same bunch of players who've conceded sixteen goals in seven Premier League games so far this season. So, in that sense, I think there's not really anything for Tottenham to be worried about. Jack, how many of the City eleven do you reckon you can name? Uh, so, I reckon it would have been. Uh, so the the back four would have been something like Richards, Dunn, Talbenheim, no Ball. Ball is correct. Yeah, I'm really surprised he was he was still there. Was Company not there? Company was there. Company was, was Company the f- playing midfield though. I imagine. Uh, he's ah uh, possibly yeah. He's down. Was as Company a- played in midfield that season. Uh, so it would have been what not done in Benheim at centre back. No, it looks like it. Mu- it looks like it must have been Richards at centre back with Dunn. But then, then who at right Ball back? left back and then right back. Again, someone you wouldn't necessarily have thought was was already there. Zabaleta. Yeah. Yeah. So Zabaleta arrived that that some early that Zabaleta had hair. Yeah. Then in, midf- had hair. then in midfield, I reckon it would have been uh, Company and either Johnson or Haman and Ireland. Ham- yeah, Haman and Ireland. This is great content for a Spurs podcast, yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> guys. I'm really sorry to all our listeners. Maybe we should cut this out. And then it would have up front would have been was it still Emil and Penza? No, another it was a different Joe. Joe, yeah. Joe Rubinio, and then on the right, Sean Wright, Sean Wright Phillips. Yeah, correct. And in goal, ooh, ugh, either well, Hart or Schmeichel. This is bringing it to Spurs. The Hart dog. Yeah. Shall we do the eleven from when when Spurs won at the Etihad? Oh, wouldn't it be called the Etihad then? Would it? What would it have been called? City of Manchester Stadium. City of Manchester Stadium. In like November of that season. Should we do the Spurs eleven? I'm not going to really get it. Oh, that's that. Yeah, that's that's the Huddleston goal, isn't it? Oh no, no, no Huddleston goes. No, 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 no. no, no. Take that back. Darren Bent. It's Darren Bent. Darren, Darren Bent. Ben, sorry. Ben, no, yeah. Huddleston okay, so, was 2006. Take it back. Uh, Gomez. Yes. Uh, Chaluka. Yes. Oh, Dawson. Noah Woodgate he's on the bench Woodgate, Woodgate yeah, yeah King yeah uh, Asuokoto yeah who you'll remember was sent off in the 89th minute yeah yeah. Uh, did Richard Dunn get sent off as well he did, yeah. as, did a, as did a third I'm not going to get that Gelson Fernandez. yes oh come on <laughs> uh, right uh, Wilson Palacios no 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 no. not Wilson Palacios before Palacios uh, Modric Yep. Huddleston? Yep. Janus? Yep. Uh, won't be, won't be Bale. Dos Santos? No. God, this is quite Len- weird. Lennon. T- Aaron Lennon? No, he came on for Modric. So, Fraser Campbell? No. Ben, anyway, definitely Ben. Ben, yeah. So you're Path, missing two Path players. Path Super Path? No. So it's, t- it's, it's quite an, a defensive it's- team for Harry Redknapp. Okay, it must be another, is it another defensive midfielder? Zakora, yep. Didier Zakora. Yeah, and then you've got one more player to get. I've interviewed him for the Athletic. Uh, it's not Pascal Chimbonda because he didn't come back then. It's not Timo Tania because he had gone. Uh, I don't know, he's gone. David Bentley. Ah, uh, of course. Yeah, fine. Well, that was fun. Coming up after the break, uh, we'll be taking another look at the Newcastle takeover. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So I think the question of the morality of the Newcastle takeover by Saudi Arabia has really dominated this international break, as I think it probably will do for English football over the next few years. Um, This is something we've covered in depth at The Athletic. This morning we've got a new story by Joey Derso just about how ludicrous the claim is that the public investment fund is in any way separate from the Saudi Arabian state. But we've also just run a survey of Spurs fans asking the question that we've touched on in previous podcasts, which is what would they think if 
Tottenham were to be sold to Saudi Arabia. Um, Charlie, you you put this survey up. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, I mean, we we just had this idea because obviously they're playing each other this weekend. And also it just feels like Spurs with their like self-sustaining model is so at odds with this takeover that's just going to come in and, you know, seemingly transform Newcastle overnight. Um, and we and so we wanted to get a sense of fr- from Spurs fans how they would feel. Yeah, if if this happened uh, to them, would they want this to happen? You know, that was our first question: was Would you rather Spurs have their current ownership structure or Newcastle's? And so once the results are all in, we're going to write a piece on this that will I think be up on the Athletic on Saturday. But like the the initial um, exit poll, the, yeah, the exit poll exactly suggests that. Um, the Spurs fans would far rather have the current structure than Newcastle's, uh, which is quite interesting. Um, and, you know, reading the comments under the article, and I've had a lot of interaction on social media, you know, that is down to the fact that they wouldn't want to be associated with uh, a regime like Saudi Arabia. This is quite interesting, though, that um, so far, 60% of fans say they would keep going to games uh, if they were taken over by an equivalent, uh, 40% saying that they would stop going to games which I think is quite interesting you know and, and that's you know that's obviously a big debating point that we discussed with Danny last week I think as well as to whether he would stop going to games and James I'll want to get your view on that in a second as well um, and then and then talk about as you know one of the questions goes into how you know is it about winning at all costs does, does who owns the club matter and again that's that's pretty Split not quite down the middle. I think it was something like so. This was yeah. This was asking about as long as Spurs are successful. I'm not. I'm not much bothered. I'm not bothered about who owns the club. And about forty percent of people said yeah. I'm not really bothered about who owns the club as long as we're successful. But then you know around sixty said I am bothered. You know that sort of stuff does matter to me. So just thought it was interesting to get a and, and maybe you know we view everything I guess through a Spurs prism and and probably every Premier League club has strong views on the Newcastle takeover and how it affects them, but it did feel like Spurs are such a counterpoint to it. And with them playing each other on the weekend, you've got it, it just feels quite fitting. But yeah, I mean, James, what's your view on that? Would you stop Would you stop going to games? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, if, if it was a like a, an oppressive regime like this where like the human rights issues are unavoidable, I would definitely want to have like no involvement in that. Uh, and I would, be very strongly against that I mean to be honest for, for me like it, regardless of where, like where the money's coming from and you know I know you'd say there are no uh, there are no billionaires who aren't at least slightly morally dubious after everything that's happened over the last few years with Spurs and I mean like six seven years the idea of someone coming in just pumping a load of cash in and then winning stuff after all that I actually I wouldn't like that even if it was kind of all above board do you know what I mean I just kind of feel mm-hmm. like they came so close to doing it the right way if you want to call it that, but like the idea that they like go again and do it with like the sort of you know the cheat code, sort mm. of. I don't think I'd really enjoy that. I mean, maybe I'd feel really differently about that if you'd asked me that question in 2016. Not 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 the kind of the ethical side of the non-sporting stuff, but just with regards to the amount of money being spent and where that money's coming from. I, I just I don't know. Now I just kind of feel like uh, that wouldn't really interest me. Like that wouldn't do it for me. Like that, like someone coming in and pumping in hundreds of million pounds to spend on players every summer. You know, this thing at Chelsea where, you know, they signed Timo Werner last summer for what, 15 million quid or whatever it was. It's quite a good deal, but it obviously doesn't work out for whatever reason or not as well as you would hope or they would hope. Uh, and then like, the very next summer, they go out and spend, what is it, 90 million pounds on Lukaku because that didn't work out. Like, yeah. can you imagine if Spurs had spent 50 million pounds on a striker? Yeah. How big a thing that would be, whether he I mean, was a success or a failure. I mean, they spent thirty million pounds on Soldado, and it obviously didn't work out. And like, they were only bailed out by the miracle of of Harry mm. Kane coming out, like, kind of coming off the bench, coming out of coming out of the reserves at that exact moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they would have been absolutely knackered. Why <laughs> shouldn't they? He wouldn't have been able to replace Soldado. He would have like been forcing Soldado into the team for a couple of years after that, probably. So yeah, it just doesn't. I don't know. It's to, to me. I mean, that, I, that's not. I think I necessarily expect other people to agree with. But for me, it was wouldn't. It wouldn't appeal to me really. That's really interesting, actually. So, you, in the sense that they just wouldn't go for a Pochettino twenty fourteen equivalent. Just the idea. I don't know. I just don't like the idea of it. I like it all being done that quickly and like big mm. money being and like all those corners kind of being cut and you know just being able to bring it. Not not kind of finding clever solutions and just like going out and buying like elite players, like ready made players, and 
chucking loads of money at them and it all kind of feeling a bit yeah you know, a bit dirty I, I, I I'm you know this isn't like I'm not criticizing fans of other clubs who have been in that situation or fans of Spurs who in that situation would love it I, but for me I just wouldn't that wouldn't that wouldn't do it for me now. And like I said, I may, I may have felt very differently about that before the whole Pochettino thing. And also, even going back that period of time, since then you've seen, obviously, Leicester win the league and the FA Cup. Uh, and obviously, well documented that that's been done through good recruitment more than anything else and a bit of luck. Uh, and Liverpool as well, like winning the European Cup and the Premier League. And, and we know they have spent money, but not like, you know, oil state levels. Like mm. se- sensible reinvestment in, in what they've sold as well. Uh, so yeah, I just... <laughs> It, it, it that wouldn't that wouldn't appeal for me at all. That wouldn't be like you know. I wouldn't like if if uh, some mad billionaire wanted to chuck loads of money at it and he didn't have the yeah. issues that Saudi Arabia have got. I, I wouldn't be like a moral objection necessarily. I wouldn't like stop supporting Spurs or stop going. But I wouldn't. I don't, I don't think it would do it for me. I don't, I don't think that would work for me. Even if James, that was kind of the only way that Tottenham could win the league. Because I think the Tottenham, like the Pochettino, I don't I really don't want to get back into another look back in the sort of 2016-17 yeah. <laughs> again but that one of the reasons why Tottenham had the chance to win the Premier League that year is that all the big clubs were, or in that kind of Pochettino window was all the big clubs were kind of in sorry the rich clubs were kind of in flux at that moment you know City were Guardiola just showed up at City Klopp had just showed up at Liverpool they were kind of getting up to speed United were in a bit of turmoil Chelsea didn't really know what they were doing at that point and so until they got Conte, you know, in between Mourinho and Conte uh, whereas now it feels. Oh, look, I mean, look, we say like, that, but Chelsea had a crap season after. They had a crap season with Conte and a crap, a relatively crap season after Conte as well. So it's not like supposed to finish above Chelsea uh, that season after Chelsea won the league, right? Under Conte, City and Liverpool have raised the bar in the last sort of four year, four years in a way which actually makes it much harder for a kind of Pochettino redo to be viable. But the kind of thing Liverpool have done it should be, and I know Liverpool are a bigger club than Spurs, and they will have bigger commercial revenues than Spurs. But that that is the kind of thing they should be aspiring to more than more than like trying to be, you know, yeah. ho- hope someone will come in and pump in five hundred million pounds in transfer fees and wages every summer. I guess though the thing is now the sad reality now is that you getting that kind of mad investment is no longer even a cheat code. You, you could argue that all that, that would they, do yeah, is, that is true. It would put you on a par with three of the other clubs in the division, so that might soften your um, kind of feelings of sort of grubbiness because you could maybe. justify it as well we're, we're just amongst you know the the four clubs who who do this as well we've that, just that, done that it tells you a lot about the premier league that doesn't it, it does fact, but that, it that does being the case, i'm not saying you're wrong yeah but, um, and it, it's a horrible reality that, that and that is going to be a thing that newcastle are going to find i think that it's not like you say not not the cheat code actually that uh no with, with city and chelsea already so established obviously manchester united make money hand over fist for selling duvet covers and whatever else you know, uh, uh, it's going to be very difficult for Newcastle probably to even get in the top four. Like, really in, 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 really, really in the difficult. short term, I mean, uh, you know, if they're chucking hundreds of millions of pounds every single year, eventually they'll get there. But yeah, it's not going to be. It's not going to be like, you know, look, even City in the first season, by the way, didn't get in the Champions League, did they? And yeah. they didn't win a trophy for what three years and didn't win the league for until four 2011. Years. So yeah. it's not like, and they didn't qualify for Champions League to 2011, right? Yeah, exactly. And but and, you know, but and, and everyone, City are deemed the example of how you do this and how you run a club in that sense. But I mean, it wasn't like an immediate thing for them, was it? I think we touched on this last week, but it's just much harder for Newcastle simply because other teams have already done it. Yeah, exactly. Like City exactly. and Chelsea are in place now, and that means that. You know, I think Newcastle, I'm sure they can spend their way to being better than West Ham and maybe eventually Leicester and maybe even Arsenal, Tottenham. But actually breaking into the top four, it's just really, really difficult. And I think I think I mentioned this last week, but look at Everton. You know, Everton, Mashiri's been trying to spend Everton's way into the top four for the last five years. They've bought some pretty good players. You know, Decore uh, was a great buy. There have been plenty of other... Richarlison's been fantastic. They've bought well. They've appointed a series of pretty good managers. And they're still miles off. You know, they're getting further away, not closer. And I just want... You know, so for Newcastle to do it better than Everton, they will have to spend a lot more money and be a lot more intelligent. Well, that's the thing, yeah. You, you need to appoint the right people. I mean, what City have done is, as, as well as obviously spending ridiculous sums of money on, on players, they have got the appointments for those yeah. sporting director all of those sorts of things spot on and all of that part that long-term strategy to woo Guardiola and that's almost what you have to do but you are putting yourself in a position where if you get smart people in who make good decisions you will become very very good whether it takes five years or ten years it just will happen 
I'm Adam Hurry, and to mark the 100th episode of my Football Clichés podcast, Jamie Carragher popped in to discuss his footballing fascinations and irritations on the latest edition of Mesut Harland Dicks. It's like Desert Island Discs, but for football. I played for England as a striker. Really? At, uh, yeah, don't look so shocked. I am shocked. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I watched you at the 1997 Amsterdam Sony Sixes. I can't believe this. <laughs> Whether this is a feather in my cap or not, I was keeping Emil Heskey out of England on the 16th team. He was on the <laughs> That bench. is a feather in your cap. <laughs> and all the teams were doing proper warm-ups and we were just bladdering balls at the wall and having <laughs> shots and just, like, just causing mayhem. And we've just gone out with no sort of like formation anything it's just like just go out and put like whatever and you know it was just an absolute <laughs> disaster but funny in a way how is El Hadstuf these days Jamie how is he doing yeah I don't know yeah he rates me really highly <laughs> <laughs> to listen to Jamie in full flow check out football cliches wherever you get your pods and of course ad free on the athletic So one of the one of the stories rumbling this season, kind of in the background, is the fact that Harry Winks is still at Tottenham, but not really any closer to being a big part of their plans than he was last year. Charlie, you've just done a piece saying that after staying to fight for his place this summer, you wonder whether this January might be the time for him to go. Yeah, certainly on loan. I think that's got to be a big consideration. Just thinking what's best for the club and for the player. And, and and around this time last year, I wrote a piece saying why I thought he should stay because I thought he should fight for his place, uh, that Lo Celso and Dombele, uh, Aurier had all shown under Mourinho that you know things can change very quickly. And actually, Winks did then. He started three straight games um, in December and January in the Premier League and looked very briefly like, oh, maybe he will become a starter again. But then it fell away um, under Mourinho, who... You know, never. It, it always felt like that was a quite an uncomfortable fit, um, and then it's that's just carried on really under Nuno. And part of the reason we felt this piece was timely is it's now three years, almost exactly, I think three years tomorrow since that Spain game, uh, the Nations League game, where England won three two. Wink started. Southgate was glowing about him in the build up, talking about him as you know the future of England, the England team. Pochettino around the same time was saying similar things and. And I mean, Pochettino rated him so highly, it's easy to forget that, that like he started the Champions League final having been out for almost two months with a groin injury that requires surgery. I mean, we think about Kane starting that final, but that was, you know, a pretty big leap of faith starting Winks as well. And yeah, I think, you know, just looking at it, it feels like it's just gone a bit stagnant for him at Tottenham. And and, and last year, I used a bunch of examples of players who left big six teams and then never really got back to that level and talked about people like Tom Cleverley. Um, from Manchester United or like Kieran Gibbs in Iwobi at Arsenal. And there, there are tons of those sort of examples. But actually, looking at how Lingard kind of revitalised his career with that loan spell at West Ham, and even someone like Martin Odegaard from Real Madrid uh, at Arsenal, I, I just feel like you know that might be what's needed. And, and, and that will give us more of a sense of whether you know is Winks' decline at Tottenham because his levels got worse or is it because he's just been with managers who his quite particular skill set doesn't really mesh that well with them. So, yeah, that's my view on it. Um, and, and, and you know, an interesting topic in my view, just because he is a homegrown player. We've talked about it before, this slightly weird thing where rather that sort of holding credit for him, it seems to be a stick to beat him with that he is from the academy. So, yeah, an interesting talking point and it'll be one to keep an eye on in January, see where see where that develops. Because Spurs have always been very reluctant to, to let him go. What do you expect will happen? Do you, do you think they would let him go on loan? I don't know. I mean, last year they w- they didn't because they just couldn't take the risk of players getting injuries and then them being short. And my feet, I slightly feel like the same thing might happen. I think they'll be very resistant because, again, it slightly depends on what system Nuno settles on. But you've got Skip and Hoybier as first choice now. If, if they're playing that four-two-three-one, and then obviously at the moment you put the Celso and Ndombele ahead of him in the pecking order. But if he's really wedded to that system. If you sell Winks, you are then a little bit uh, short there, or if you loan him rather. So, 
I don't know. I feel like it could be a tricky one. And, and it just depends whether Spurs see enough of an upside in the long term to offset the risk in the short term. And we, we know they've, they've had a history of not wanting to sell or loan players when perhaps they should have done. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, quite aside from the fact that, you know, having fringe players who are homegrown is pretty useful in terms of like squad building, particularly when you're in Europe. I, I do wonder whether he was a, like a more suitable player when Spurs are a better team, if you know what I mean. Like the, yeah. him, kind of, him kind of like being there, kind of keeping things ticking over, you know, recycling the ball, just like picking it up and shifting it out to the better players. When Spurs were a good team and had Son Eriksson, Deli, Kane all kind of at the peak of their power. Dembele next to Yeah, it. Dembele as well. I don't know, I guess there's probably less asked of him. And now I think Spurs probably need someone a bit more, a bit more dominant in midfield, if you know what I mean. And he just isn't, you know, he is, he's competitive and he'll put himself about. He's not someone who like, who, who like dominate a midfield. He's not going to like, you know, be in a midfield battle with, I don't know, the, the best midfield players in the league and, and really lay a glove on them, is he? I don't think. So he's, pro- he's, pro- he's probably been a victim of, and this isn't, you know, to make an excuse for him, but he's probably been a victim of Spurs decline to a certain degree with that in mind. Mm. But yeah, you're right. I mean, he's just not, he's just not a player whose skill set is suited to the way Spurs are going to try and play now. And, you know, we've talked about Dele Alli in a similar way. And I actually think it's hard to imagine that it's going to swing back in his favour. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I'm just not I'm just not sure there's going to be a kind of... But what kind of team would he get? I don't know he was linked with Man City and Manchester United and clearly those clubs rate him, but they haven't actually come in for a proper bid, have they? I, yeah. And I just, you know, I just can't I just can't see there being a... Maybe he'll, maybe he'll go abroad, but I do think it'll be difficult for him to find a decent club. But what if hypothetically Nuno were to get sacked at some point, either this season or at the end of the season... And then get replaced by somebody who plays more of a sort of pressing passing style. Because, you know, let's say, you know, counterfactually, what if Tottenham have got a Potter or Hansi Flick or Eric Ten Hag this summer instead of Nuno, which were all, you know, all people who they who they, they looked at and who they could have got. Why do you think that would have changed? I mean, do you think Winks could have been revitalised under a manager who played a more amenable style to him? Or do you think it's kind of somehow just gone? I suspect most of those managers would be looking to upgrade in central midfield. Yeah, maybe. I think that is an interesting one, though. And that's probably why, from his point of view, a loan makes the most sense. Because I don't think many people think Nuno's going to be there for years and years and years. So it's almost like, uh, OK, well, let's see if I can almost wait this out. And you and you hear that sort of thing from players all the time. Because, you know, managerial uh, changes are so commonplace. And that's partly why last year I did say I thought leaving and taking a step down is a risk. Because I do think, James, you're right that he... He is better suited to that better team in a way. Like I think it, it and also it's really hard to the, the kind of the way that Winks plays. It's hard to stand out in a sense because what he does is is kind of invisible. It's neat and tidy. It's keeping things ticking over, and you need then other players around you who can then elevate themselves. I mean, I, how how does he take that step to go to one of those teams now? Do you know? What I mean, it's like he, he's going to have to take a step backwards and play regularly for someone else. But unless he gets, you know, if, say if he went to Brighton, maybe it would work if he was at Brighton and they were doing well and they had a season where they finished sixth and then maybe it feels like yeah. he could then step up again. But I find it hard to imagine a situation where he takes a step back and then takes a step forward. And I know you were saying, Charlie, that you wrote about that last year and then Lingard has subsequently happened and then maybe you, if you feel slightly differently about it. But for a player like him, you know, Lingard's a goal, like a, a, like a goal scorer and Lingard got everyone's attention at West Ham because he scored what, what like eight goals or whatever it was and got six assists or whatever it was, mad numbers. Winks is never going to do that. He's never going to make that kind of impact, like you say. I don't know, it's very difficult to imagine, like, like his best chance, <laughs> genuinely, I think, of, of getting, of being like a Champions League player again is going to be like kind of stumbling into it at Spurs somehow, but I just don't see how that's going to happen. Yeah, I guess the two things that could happen, the equivalent of that for him could be either he moves abroad and, you know, finds a team and a system and a league that is a bit more suited to him. Or, as you say, he goes to Brighton or a Brentford and in that environment, even if he's not getting the goals and assists, he's doing enough to make perhaps the Spurs manager next season, whoever that might be, say, yeah, OK, with this guy's back. He, You know, he's back playing with confidence. Um, he can fit in, you know, he's someone who I can just slot into my system and he won't let me down he'll keep things ticking over um you know slightly differently from how Nuno does but yeah it's going to be it will be really interesting and that is that is the gamble that's why players are often reluctant to leave teams when from a fan's point of view you might be thinking well you're not getting enough game time what's in it for you here And, and, and look that is really important for him and for all players they they just want to play above all especially for him when there's the England consideration 
And it must be agonising for someone like him who was very well thought of by Southgate, played a lot of games. He, he was a starter for England for, for a reasonable length of time. So to then know that when you're not playing games, you're missing out on things like Euro, the Euros and for England, that's an additional consideration for someone like him. I think Winks is one of those players who the timing of the Euros yes, really counts yeah. against him because you know he was in, in November 2019, the last international break before the Euros. He scored, didn't him. he? He yeah, scored in that game. between him and Declan Rice starting that holding well, but Winks had actually won his place back at that point. I, I couldn't believe in, in Charlie's piece that Winks played for England in like November 2020, less yeah. than a year ago. It's mad. Yeah, yeah he, he, he came back for that that in that first autumn back of kind of post-COVID behind closed doors England games and did play a bit. But by that point, Calvin Phillips was involved as the partner for Rice and, and Winks kind of fell out of contention. But... You know, if COVID hadn't happened and the Euros had happened in 2020, then Winks would surely have gone. He, he might even have started. I mean, he, he definitely would have gone and he could easily have been a starter. Yeah, given how he'd been playing. And even if you look at kind of England's best best performance under Southgate, arguably uh, the 3-2 win in Seville in October 2018, I was l- lucky enough to be at that game. And Wink, Winks was playing midfield, but he wasn't holding. They actually had Eric Dyer of all people mm. holding. <laughs> and so Winks was playing alongside Ross Barkley in quite an aggressive role. And he did got so, so much running. Like the thing about Winks is he's not just a kind of keeps keeps it neat and tidy. Like he used to have an amazing engine that would really tear around the field pressing Spain. And he was so good in that game. And thinking back to it earlier, because that was Charlie, you mentioned this in your piece, it was three weeks ago today, I think. Three years ago, yeah. He had all that energy and I'm not sure I've seen him playing quite the same way and I'm just wondering whether the vet and this is just speculation he's not quite been able to produce that same physical intensity since the various ankle problems that he had and the groin operation he had just before the Champions League final yeah which is so unfortunate and and actually and you're right I mean because I was speaking to people about this and they reminded me that he used to play as a number eight at academy level like that was more his game and in that Real Madrid game the famous one in 2017 not the one at Wembley the, the draw at the burnabout where he was amazing I remember watching that game thinking like he's just going to go on a Pochettino journey like we'd seen with Delhi or Harry Kane or Ericsson and just go up and up and up and up and become absolutely elite and in that game as well he did a lot of pressing high up the pitch he 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 could get around in a way that now we do see him more we think of him as more in that stationary sit deep pass it kind of role one other thing i want to mention is michael cox has done an interview with glenn hoddle talking about some of his favorite goals that he scored and his his ideas about playing the game is really, really good. There's nothing quite like getting an all-time great player giving insight onto how he sees the game. It is really good. It's really good. And you can tell reading it how much Hoddle's enjoying it. I mean, I guess who wouldn't enjoy luxuriating in watching clips of them being amazing? But he, he talked really interestingly about it. My favourite bit, and only Glenn Hoddle could say this, is uh, when he says, with all due respect to Cristiano Ronaldo, dot, dot, dot. There were very few people in football who would use that phrase, but Glenn Hoddle is de- it's definitely entirely believable that he be, would be one of them. He genuinely, like watching those clips... And I, I just every time I watch it, it is I do feel that is one player I wish I could have watched play yeah, um, yeah, yeah. live. I mean, he is sensational. The stuff, he, and I love two-footed players. And he, that's nothing I just need to use when Coxie points out that he, you know, he can score off either foot. And he says something like, "Yeah, I was doing that since I was five, to be honest. Like that just always came. And 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 somehow, like I know he was perceived as arrogant or whatever, but I just think that's great. Just tell it like it is. Like don't don't be falsely modest about it when you're just absurdly gifted we're going to just wrap it up with some questions these are some questions I've got set, we've been sent in by some listeners this week we're just going to go for Stephen Brewer's questions I think James you'll especially enjoy these so listener Stephen Brewer wow he's questions. really gone to town here who was the better striker for us Bobby Zamora Idika Johnson or Fraser Campbell is this bloke having a laugh I think yes he is I don't think he actually thinks he's a pressing. I did get Johnson. I think the other. I think Fraser Campbell and Bobby Zamora scored one goal, or maybe Fraser Campbell got a couple of goals in the League Cup. Actually, he did against United. Yeah, no, against Liverpool. You embarrass yourself. Was it? Um, oh yeah, he came from United. I was thinking United. Uh, Bobby Zamora just scored. One. It's got to be good, Johnson. I think he was. He was kind of assured. I think he only scored once. Maybe he might have scored a goal in the FA Cup. Actually, so he scored twice. But Johnson, didn't he score that really good goal at Stoke yeah, for Spurs? It's quite he a big win it. that as well in that 2009-10 season. So yeah, we'll, we'll say good Johnson. But I mean, it's a low bar. The best midfielder for us, Hossam Ghali, 
Kevin Prince Boateng or Adele Tarabt? Uh Adele Tarabt, right. I, I, I know there's this thing that uh, he was he had this cameo against Derby County in 2007. And people were going about how great he was when he came on, but he was utterly rubbish. He was doing all his tricks and constantly giving the ball away. He was rubbish. Boateng away at Chelsea uh, that same season. No, no, sorry, 2008-2009, early in the season. Uh, one of the worst performances I've ever seen from a Tottenham player. He was absolutely dreadful. Uh, and Hossam Ghali actually was quite good. I know people hate him because he threw his shirt at Martin Yol. But he didn't play loads when he played. I thought it was not bad. So I would probably say Ghali. To Raps, when he was quite good, he came on in the North London derby uh, when Berbatov scored that goal when Arsenal won 2-1. And he was actually very dangerous and should have been given a penalty. He was really tricky and it didn't he get given. He came on in the, in the West Ham game, the 4-3 as well, where he won the free kick that Berbatov scored. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't, uh, he was rubbish. Okay, the best keeper for us, Ben Arnwick, Martin Fulop or Lars Hirschfeld? Uh, I'm not sure Fulop or Hirschfeld ever played in the first team. I could be wrong on Fulop. Hirschfeld definitely didn't. But Ben, ben Anik was uh, uh, really rubbish. I mean, <laughs> uh, I think he might have play, he played in one Premier League game at Burnley, the last game of 9-10, and he conceded four, and I think two of them were quite bad goals. And he also played the second leg of the League Cup semi-final the following season, I know, sorry, season before against Burnley, and conceded maybe three. Uh, not great. So I'm going to say Martin Phillip, even though I don't think he played for Spurs. I'd never heard of game. Lars Hirschfeld, I'm no. afraid. I think he's Canadian, I think. Long-standing sub-keeper in the sort of early 2000s. Best left-back, Lee Young-Pyo, Eric Edmund, or Timotei Atuba? Yeah, I think Lee Young-Pyo was, was fine. He was, he was all right. I, I didn't, Atuba probably wasn't quite as bad as people thought. He, like, dwelled on the ball a lot. I think he looked like he was going to make mistakes quite often, but very rarely did. And Edmund, I can't look beyond how badly he played for Wigan in that 9-1. So I will say Lee Young-Pyo. Also, isn't a, a tuba's quite timely because he scored at St James's Park. At St James's Park, yeah, yeah, that's true. With his, with with his right coming foot. on to his right, foot, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, the swinger. So, yeah, there you go, Stephen Brewer. Thank you very much for your questions. If that was quite good fun, if anybody else has any <laughs> questions like that, send them send them in for next time. Uh, that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast thanks to everyone for sticking with us for this long if you have uh, if you're not already a subscriber you can read all of our articles on Spurs by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and right now you can sign up with a 33% discount on a full subscription we will be back on Monday looking back on the Newcastle game and ahead to next week thank you very much for listening The Athletic